Okay, we are back with another episode of Three Point Range Special Final Four Saturday version of Three Point Range. I'm Mike Berardino, joined as always by Kimball Crosley and Tim Crothers. And uh, this week, there's no doubt what we would start off with. The first topic has to be the stunning news of Roy Williams' retirement this week at North Carolina after 33 total years as a basketball coach at the major college level, 15 at Kansas, 18 at Carolina, three national championships. And we happen to have here the author of Hard Work, the Roy Williams story. Tim, did you have any idea this was coming? Well, um, first of all, I'll get to that, but but I, I have to have my moment of I told you so first. And that is, uh, for all of you with the busted brackets heading into the Final Four this weekend, all I can say is, I told you so. Uh, why didn't you listen to me? A month ago on this podcast, I told you all about the power of the number 11 seeds and how four of them had reached the Final Four. Well, UCLA, an 11 seed, is in the Final Four. Bingo. Then the week before the tournament started on this podcast, I told you all about the hist how history suggests you should take two number one seeds, a number two seed, and a lower seed to reach the final four. Look it up. Two number one seeds, Gonzaga and Baylor, one number two seed, Houston, and that lower seed, UCLA, are in the final four. Bingo. Months ago on this podcast, I told you all that Gonzaga was going to win it all. Bingo. On Monday night. This past week, Las Vegas imposed a travel ban on me for obvious reasons. <laughs> Uh, and now to Roy. Um, as you, as you, you have uh, uh, pointed out to our many listeners, I, I, I am the ghostwriter for Coach Williams' book, Hard Work, and I got to know Coach pretty well through that process. And uh, yeah, I'll admit, I was as surprised as, as anybody, including it sounds like you guys, um, when that announcement came in. I mean, it being April Fool's, I think we all... <laughs> The first, my first reaction when I first heard about it was, "All right, I better go check this out in, on a more credible source, and see whether this could possibly be an April Fool's joke." It was a, it was just odd that that's the day that it ended up coming out because I thought I think everybody probably had that initial thought. Um, but in retrospect, I realized that I, I really shouldn't have been that that surprised, um, because one of the first things you learn about Coach Williams when you meet him is is how much he values loyalty. I mean, loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Um, when, he, when he went to Kansas uh, as, as their head coach, he, I, he never wanted to leave Kansas. Um, we talked about it endlessly for uh, when we were working on the book. And the truth is, he would still be at Kansas right now if it hadn't been for his mentor, uh, Dean Smith, telling him that, UNC needed him back, and of course, Roy was a UNC grad, and his mentor of all mentors uh, basically all but begged him to come back, and I believe that is the only reason he would have he would have left Kansas. Um, and it is that loyalty that brought him back to UNC, uh, and college basketball simply just isn't about loyalty anymore. I mean, let's face it; it's it's about one and dones, and now it's really about transfers based on the, the uh, altering the transfer rules to to allow uh, transfers to move 
where anywhere they out anywhere they want without any sort of uh, penalty or or need to sit out. It's it's just the game is now about me, 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 and that's that just isn't uh, how Roy Williams operates. Um, I think history tells us that Coach built his three national championship teams at UNC on the backs of upperclassmen, <clears throat> some of whom would probably not have stayed at UNC long enough to be part of those natties had the transfer rules read like they do today. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think players should ha should have the right to transfer if they want. I mean, coaches can transfer anytime they want. So I don't see anything wrong with that. But that just isn't the Roy Williams way. Um, there are more than 1,000 names, as you guys know, in the transfer portal this season. And while Coach talked on Thursday about how he didn't think he was the right man for the job anymore because of some of the strategic mistakes he feels he's made over the last two clearly subpar seasons at UNC. Uh, let's be clear. I believe that uh, one of the biggest reasons that Roy Williams is in the transfer portal to retirement is because college basketball simply doesn't value loyalty anymore. What do you guys think? Kimball? Well, those are great points, you know, um, and I guess, you know, I'm certainly not going to disagree with you. You know, I'm not very close to the program, but I follow it. And, you know, I've been intrigued by it for years and um, was shocked. And I, I guess, you know, but like you, I thought about it. I said, well, no, it does make sense. I mean, there were just, there's something in his tone of voice when you would listen to him, you know, uh, in some of the post-game press conferences and, you know, especially after the last loss in the tournament, you know, where I just, he... I think he just felt like he couldn't, you know, fight the fight anymore. Um, mm -hmm. He just seemed a little worn down, whether it was, you know, health-wise or physically or just mentally and or some of the things you're talking about. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And, you know, we're so used to coaches hanging on to the bitter end and, and chasing their legacy. Um, and especially, you know, with uh, the comparison to Coach K down the road and their ages and, and their totals and, you just thought, well, you know, who would who would stop that chase? You know, who's why would he give up that earlier than Coach K is? But you know, I, as you point out, I don't think that's how he thinks. Um, no. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, in retrospect, uh, you know, you think back to the frustration of these last two years for him, and you know, he did. He mentioned in that press conference, which is which is uh, difficult to watch for. I mean, just because you can see the the emotion that he's bringing and the pain and how much he cares. But um, he did get that team to play the way he wanted it to at times. You don't lead Notre Dame, a mediocre team, albeit, but you don't lead anybody in the ACC tournament by 50 points at one point without still being able to connect with young players and get them to reach peak capacity and then blowing out Duke by 20. Um, you know, it, they're, they're, that's why... That's why we talked on this show. It would have been completely plausible that Carolina would have gone on this run and given uh, Roy Williams a chance to reach one more Final Four and leave that way. But to leave after 29 straight first-round wins and then the first-round first loss for him, that, um, that's a bit ironic. But I'm just happy for him that he's leaving healthy by all accounts, that he's leaving on his terms, um, that he's leaving uh, you know, without being pushed out, the, I don't know if you can be pushed out the door after three championships, but in some way he was always 
uh, going to, uh, by his own account, fail uh, to, to match his mentor. Uh, it doesn't matter the number of championships, but his name's on the court, and uh, he'll always be revered. And, and, uh, and I, I, I'm pleased. I do think Tim's right. I mean, the, the landscape, and you see what Jim Beheim's saying, what Krzyzewski has said, the, the, the uh, landscape's about to change drastically here with transfers and then name, image, and likeness is coming. And all these things may be good in the overall, but for those who remember it when it was the coach's word, first, last, and always, um, and teaching as much as coaching, uh, you know, I can see why that would be distasteful. So there's nothing that says the coach has to hang on until he's his last breath or he's 80-something. And, you know, I think that there are plenty of examples of coaches who held on too long and and it just happens to be that right now in this era, there are guys who can take it into their mid-70s. Uh, everyone's living longer if they take care of themselves. But good for him. And and, and uh, I, um, I I just will just, it's that's not an easy act to follow. So that's when, uh, at all. So that, you know, maybe a quick word on, uh, do we have any thoughts on, on uh, do we have any endorsement of who the next person should be? Because you see all kinds of odds being set. It's still a premier job even if it's a different job now. Um, my first thought was that it would just be turned because Roy Williams leaving the way he's left and with everything on his terms, why not just hand the keys over to Steve Robinson the way Dean Smith handed the keys to Bill Guthridge because it is an impossible task to follow Roy Williams, but it doesn't seem like that's the number one um, uh, favorite by far. I mean, I see several other people uh, being mentioned, uh, Wes Miller being mentioned, Hubert Davis being mentioned, you know, the pie in the sky of Brad Stevens or Mark Few, uh, even Jay Wright being mentioned. I don't know that any of that. I just I just have to believe they'll stay within the family. And even though Steve Robinson was not a huge success at Florida State at all, he was he was successful at Tulsa. And he's been right there with Roy Williams at two programs and knows every bit of the way it worked. So I, that's who I'm hoping it's turned over to, at least as a transition. He's only 63 years old, a transitional period. Um, and then we'll see what college basketball looks like after that. Who do you guys endorse? I don't think there's an, I don't really think there's an obvious choice, which is, which I think is odd. I mean, do you feel like, uh, in a situation like this, when, you know, coach has been here as long as he has, uh, that there would be, uh, by the, you know, when it was finally time for him to go, uh, that there would be sort of an obvious successor. And I don't, I don't really feel like there is, I mean, obviously, People have talked about uh, Coach Robinson and uh, Coach Davis um, as possibilities uh, from from his own staff, um, and you know I, I don't think either one of those is a is a slam dunk. Um, I think th both of them are possible, and both of, and both of them could be successful if they if they were to get the job. But I think what's surprising to me and you know, I guess you could say this about Duke and Coach Krzyzewski as well. I, I don't know if, if there's an obvious successor at this point, which I, I'm surprised to, to have had happen, um, you know, just because you would expect there to be. And that Roy was one of the last people, uh, screen-oriented offense, very post-oriented offense, very pass-oriented offense. And it seems like, you know, the game is just trending for a lot of reasons away from that to, you know, dribble drive and threes. And I wonder, like, if he's been he's been sort of slow to embrace that change. I don't know if that figured into his his decision to leave, but it also figures into, like, my thinking, well, 
doesn't feel like a handoff to an assistant is going to do it this time, right? Like it just feels like if there is any pressure from the higher ups, it's it's like let's reboot this and and get you know uh, more in line with what other teams are doing and the programs that are doing and and, and you know recruiting because because I, I think we see that that um, they still get these posts too many of them and they're not getting like the the guards you want and. And I think a lot of that is because in recruiting, that's the kind of argument people make. It's like, you don't want to go there and just feed the post or, you know, you don't want to go there and, and, and be an 11 man rotation. You know, you want to go someplace and, and play. So I don't know if that figures into it, but some of the successors that are, you know, like right and few. And um, I heard Tony Bennett's name mentioned. Gosh, it's hard to imagine those guys leaving the, the great programs that they've um, built. But wouldn't that be cool or, you know, or Brad Stevens, you know, I think that'd be really exciting. Last thing I just want to say about this, I, 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 it's just crossed my mind in the last few days, this idea that, uh, that, you know, what these changes have really caused, these transfer changes have really caused is I, I feel like, what would it be like as a coach to be looking down at your bench in the middle of a game and think, gosh, do I need to put that guy in so that he'll stay at my school? I mean, that, you know, I guess, I guess the, the, the obvious um, example of this would be Walker Kessler for, for UNC this year is, you know, is, if, if Roy could, could go back to, you know, could go back into the season and, and re-coach it and say, okay, and I want to keep. I want to make sure that I keep Walker Kessler happy, so he'll stay, uh, and he won't transfer out at the end end of the year. Um, you know, does he does he make does he change his coaching decisions during the season to get Walker more playing time? And I mean, I'm just I'm just curious, Kimball, as a coach. I know you can't totally identify this as a high school coach, but imagine you have a, you know a guy that you you think is a is a good is a good future player, but he's not really, he's not really helping you that much right now. And you'd look down the bench and say, do I need to put him in so he won't transfer to another, another high school? <laughs> I mean, I just think it's such a bizarre change of, of mindset that these coaches now must, I, I don't, I don't know how you could avoid thinking about that, at least in some way uh, as uh, as you're coaching a game. What do you think? Kimball? So, yeah, I was, I can totally identify it in some ways because I, uh, you know, even as a high school coach or when you're coaching a JV or freshman team, it happens because kids are always willing to walk <laughs> and if they're not happy and you're, you're kind of always balancing that. And you can even see the, the pouting face on the end of the bench like, uh, you know, this kid's going to quit or, you know, whatever, get down in the whole program if I don't play him. But like, is that any reason to play the kid? So so it happens and you're always juggling that. But yeah, the, the, the NCAA, it's a whole nother level when you're talking about NCAA basketball and especially like you know when you recruit guys and you kind of like so-called have to guarantee them playing time to get them these are just factors that are just you know it's it's an ugly part of the game for sure and and it does make coaches want to walk away at any level i mean i have i i remember i talked to a longtime coach earlier this year and he was just like saying you know how much he missed coaching he says i don't miss you know, the parents, he doesn't miss like, you know, having to hear from it and like people talking about the decisions that you're making. So yeah, it's a, it's a factor. All right. <clears throat> no, it's, I mean, it's going to be, we'll, I'm sure we'll revisit this as the uh, rumor mill continues to churn and eventually Carolina does select the person who will 
uh, inherit the thankless task of following Roy Williams, and uh, it's, uh, it's it's been quite a run. Um, all right, well, let's we. Tim alluded to the brackets. The tournament's not over yet, but he did want to he did want to take a victory lap, which we're not surprised by. Kimball has something uh, uh, the opposite of that because both of us got blown out of the water, I think, in our brackets. Uh, Kimball, uh, what is your advice to people with blown up brackets? Well, <laughs> I want to talk about the five stages of of tournament pool grief. Okay, and of course, everyone knows the famous five stages of grief: are denial, anger, bargaining depression and acceptance. And I think, you know, we go through that. Anybody that doesn't win a, a pool goes through that. And I definitely went through that this year. But I, I will say like it all starts, you know, when you when you do suffer that first big defeat and it came early, right? For us, a lot of us when uh, I had Illinois winning it and, you know, I was actually at a baseball game scouting doing my job hearing the news like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Loyola beat Illinois, and and you you you're first like no this the score I'm reading on my computer can't be right this the, no no something's wrong you know you just you definitely are in denial and then of course that does turn quickly to anger and it's like <laughs> god damn Illinois why did I pick them I knew sister their Jean. cards I knew their <laughs> cards were unreliable and goddamn sister Jean and whatever <laughs> happened why did I even go with them. But then there's this point when you're looking at your bracket, and you're like, okay, I took a hit. I lost my champion. But you know what? I got three Final Four teams in there. A lot of people took a hit. Maybe, maybe let's let's figure this bracket out. Maybe there's a way I can still do this. Maybe my my bracket will hold up otherwise. I took that bad loss, and we bargain, and we bargain. And then, of course, comes depression when you realize, no, at some point you've taken too many hits. You look at the other people's brackets, you know that – in a large pool, especially, you know, there's somebody that's got you beat for sure, no matter what happens. And it just, your depression hits at that point. And, you know, it, it turns into, you know, my pool sucks. You know what? This tournament sucks. Basketball sucks. Life sucks. <laughs> but the good news is at some point, and this happened for me um, come earlier this week, Monday, Tuesday, uh, for those elite eight games and there came this great acceptance when you just let go of the tournament pool you, you throw those paper brackets away that your copies and you just you just watch basketball again and i'll tell you watching those games monday and tuesday when i did get to watch them because i wasn't working those nights it, it was really beautiful like you just realize what a beautiful sport it is and i was just so struck by baylor and arkansas my my gosh, like that game was so dynamic. Like it was just like one crazy dynamic play after another. And unlike the pro game, when something dynamic happens in college game, you feel like you earn it. It's not like, well, we isolated over here and all I had to do was run in and beat this guy and dunk it over him. And the college game, it, it, like something like that, when, there, when there's a follow-up dunk or something like that, it, it feels much more earned and legit and not just a, a you know, a highlight real dunk contest. And that game was remarkable. And then, you know, obviously I've taken my shots at the Zags. Um, and, oh, I will say that first, it helped with acceptance that despite Tim's victory lap, I am beating him in the pool. I'm beating both <laughs> the jokers in my pool. So my pool, throwing away that pool is a lot easier when I know I, I beat those two guys at least. I might not have beaten everybody. But so watching the Zags, 
and just, you know, how good they looked blowing out USC. I mean, what a performance. And, you know, we had talked about them earlier this year about just like, they've done a great job of improving their weaknesses. And, and one of the reasons I didn't like Gonzaga before as a program was I didn't think they had a great defensive identity. Well, they have embraced it. And their man-to-man defense, like in that game, was so good. And, and just to watch, like, I, it's uncanny, really, how well they play. Because just like going back to Virginia game earlier this year, like, how are they turning this team over constantly? Like, I can see them being well-positioned, like a lot of teams these days, playing pack line defense. But they were just so good at taking the ball away. <laughs> it was just a, an amazing performance. And, and it's not just that. Like, one of the things you admire about Gonzaga is how well they pass. I mean, some of the passes they make are just uncanny. And, and you talk about, you know, the, the, you know, the turnover in college basketball, and you wonder, well, is that – a, a systemic thing, like when you when you're able to keep guys in a program, you can just you get a feel for each other, and you can, you know, throw that backdoor pass right on a dime. How well they box out, you know. There, the other thing that you see is like so many young postmen, the one and done thing. They get the ball in the post, and they're just athletic. They're six eleven, and they start traveling and making these goofy moves, and they throw up some garbage, and it goes in. But like Gonzaga players, like obviously Timmy, have such good footwork on their post moves. And, you know, again, it's just, it, it was beautiful to watch. Um, and it's just a, a great team. And, and you know, to, to watch this great basketball again was just really good. Now, I would also say that, you know, I know you guys think I like to root for chaos in certain sports like college football. I do root for chaos. But, but I love college basketball. I don't like college football. And in college basketball, I don't want chaos at the end. I, I want a deserving winner. I want to feel, I, I love the history of college basketball, and I want to feel like whoever wins this thing deserves it. And even though we've had a crazy tournament, I really feel with these four teams, the winner is going to deserve it. Now, I wouldn't say that, now, that sounds strange because UCLA is a total fluke. They've had one of those crazy rides, you know, where they didn't just play and well, but the other team imploded in front of them. People lost in front of them. Things like that happened. Like, if you see, like, their games, like, with MS Michigan State imploding, Florida State sort of imploding, um, Michigan panicking, which I thought was so interesting because they classically, like, they couldn't make it a pressure shot or an outside shot. Um, but if UCLA wins at all, and by the way, there's four coaches here that have never won at all, and I think they're all deserving. They all have great long legacies. So that, again, is something I root for. Like I say, like, you know what? He's earned it. This guy's been coaching good basketball, great basketball for a long time. If he wins it, he deserves it. And if UCLA wins it all, in a normal year, I might say, like, well, maybe that's not that impressive. But obviously, to win it all this year, they would have to beat Gonzaga, an undefeated team that we, we do think is obviously great, and then go and beat, you know, probably Baylor, another really good team. So it'd be like, well, if you can do that, and I don't think they will, like they earn it. And same with Houston. If Houston doesn't seem like a great team, but if they can beat Baylor and then beat Gonzaga, as long as it's not UCLA, like we've got a worthy champion. And um, so now I'm just going to enjoy this final four. And yes, it looks like the Zags are going to win, but I'll have some fun, like seeing if somebody can knock them off and whatever happens, we're going to have a a really good champion. And that's always good for history. Well, you feel better? You're feeling a little better. No, acceptance. Yeah. 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 
Seems yeah, you were. As that was another stint on the couch for you. I was just sitting back with my with my with my glasses on my nose and taking pretending to take a few notes and and getting ready to collect my three hundred dollar fee. I mean, that's this is this is easy money. Uh, yeah, I uh, I agree with uh, you know everything you just said. Um, and yes, I freely admit that as much as my advice for for you all was genius. You didn't follow it, and neither did I. In the sense that, uh, you know, I, I had the uh, I had the theories right. I just had the teams wrong, and that uh, that except except of course for Gonzaga. And if if Gonzaga wins it, and I don't win your pool, then that's a flaw in your pool, and not a flaw in me, because <laughs> the, the, that uh, you know I don't know how you, I I don't have, have any idea how you score your pool, but but uh, our our brackets were similar enough, and if. And if I have the champion and you don't, then there's a problem with your pool. Too many other but, losses. Your your uh, San Diego State thing hurt you bad. Yeah, that wasn't. That was only a, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I I was thinking about that same idea of I love I love having a deserving champion, and I actually mentioned that to my son as we were watching uh, some game last week. I I kind of hoped. Well, I'll say at the time I hoped that Michigan was going to beat. Uh, UCLA because I thought you know I wanted Gonzaga to have the the toughest road or and I wanted them to you know I, th I thought if they beat um, you know if they beat Michigan uh, then Baylor um, you know I thought I, I would have thought that's that's pretty much all you can all the NCAA could throw at them this year and if they if they were able to pull that off that would be great but but honestly as I watched the Michigan UCLA game I, I was I was not a, a UCLA fan at all through the first few rounds, but you know the, you have to give them some respect at some point. I mean, you just have to respect what they've done, and uh, you know they they shut down that that ridiculously talented core uh, to the point that you know UCLA deserved to win that game, and I you know I keep thinking that one of these days we're UCLA is going to show who they were losing their last four games of this of the season before they before they got got into the tournament, and they're just going to come. They're just going to implode, and and maybe this is going to be the game that Gonzaga just takes them out by by forty. But uh, but I, I do hope I I hope it's Baylor and Gonzaga in the final. I, as as you guys probably remember, they were supposed to play earlier in the season, and it didn't happen. I I guess because of COVID and and. Uh, one versus two most of the season, and that's you know that's what you want. That's Ali Frazier. Let's 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 play it, see who wins it, and uh, and and the winner is is a deserving champion. And if it's Gonzaga, more power to you. And 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 yeah, and I and I should get my should get my props. <laughs> well, um, I will be rooting for Gonzaga to finish it off. Um, and I think they're not just a deserving champion. They'd be deserving immortal. Uh, they deserve to, to, you know, Indiana's had the, the floor to itself long enough. And, um, you know, just a, anything that, uh, that disturbs uh, aging Bobby Knight just a bit here uh, it, while he's still with us. Uh, I can just imagine the, the, the uh, reaction when if Gonzaga can complete the task, uh, they would be deserving not just of, of that first championship, just their second trip to the Final Four, but of uh, the way they play and the way they've conducted themselves. And this is a this is a career achievement award really for Mark Few and and um, 
good for them and good for Tim, but I'm still not convinced that the pressure won't topple them in the end. And Baylor would be, and Baylor's just crazy athletic. And Scott Drew had been there longer than he else. It's a sneaky, nice run there as well in terms of uh, consistent uh, excellence, or at least uh, above average. There have been some dips. But uh, I would be rooting for Gonzaga. The other thing is I did have two ones uh, and two twos in my final four, just because I did listen, and I and Tim was right. I thought it was three ones was magic, but two ones. I just had Gonzaga and Illinois, and then Alabama uh, failed in overtime against uh, UCLA. That was a heck of a game. Might have been the game of the tournament, and uh, and then Ohio State, and uh, and that's what I get for uh, for going with the Big Ten. I went down with the Big Ten ship, and um, here we are. But uh, no, it has been. It has been compelling. It always, it always is a, a great event. Still, the one that we can talk about endlessly. Well, let me just use this time, as always, to remind you: you're listening to Three Point Range. Uh, this is the podcast with three old friends from college days at Carolina. If you haven't picked up on that, and and uh, we try to uh, uh, challenge each other and and uh, make each other think and hopefully uh, uh, entertain you as well. You can find this podcast uh, on Stitcher and Spotify and Anchor.fm and Google Podcasts, and you can find the Three Point Range Facebook page and Three Point Range uh, Substack. And uh, something tells me there'll be some Carolina coaching candidate uh, ruminations there as well. But I want to talk about what my point would be about one more coach here. We've mentioned it in passing. We've mentioned the UCLA program. But, you know, with the, with the one shining moment aspect of the NCAA tournament, there's always that need, it seems, to, uh, to find the human interest story and then just to pound us over the head with it over and over. And Sister Jean, that was an easy one. You know, she, not just in 2018, but this time, as long as she was on the stage, 101 years old. Well, now we have Father Hep because Sister Jean had to leave the stage with Loyola's uh, stunning loss. And uh, Hep Cronin, I first noticed, I had not heard of Hep Cronin, but I first noticed him during that first four game, a Michigan State-UCLA game on that first Thursday night. And it struck me right out as they showed the father, the 79-year-old father of UCLA coach Mick Cronin, that it was strange that they said, well, uh, Mick Cronin has not seen his father in more than a year. And I realized with COVID and and distancing and everything else that you had you couldn't be right there in the person's airspace. But if he was really that close with his father, maybe he would have at least gone to wave at him from across the parking lot or something. But uh, so there was he was in the stands, and then subsequently UCLA with an extra game than all the other teams that we've seen in this final four. We've had a lot of airtime for for Hep Cronin, who. Uh, Seems like a decent enough guy, but, and by the way, Kimball, I looked it up, and they don't ever mention this, but he's a former Atlanta Braves scout, Hep Cronin, former Atlanta Braves scout, as well as a Hall of Fame high school basketball coach at Oak Hills uh, School in Cincinnati. We used to work at River Downs Racetrack. I grew up around horse racing. I should really like Hep Cronin, but I've seen Mick Cronin be kind of ugly to the press enough uh, I've never interviewed Mick Cronin, but I've seen his act in post-game uh, through the Cincinnati years. I don't doubt that he's an excellent coach, but Mick Cronin's not warm and fuzzy at all. He's a coaches with a permanent scowl. His players seem to just do what they have to do because, uh, you know, they're, they're told to do it. It doesn't seem like there's any true joy in that UCLA program coming from the coach, at least. 
and then this whole Hep Cronin thing. So, uh, who also watches the game pretty much with a permanent uh, glare. Uh, he's got the mask on, but I, I'm not really buying this. I'm not really moved by this, and I'm I'm a sucker for the for the human interest story and fathers and sons and and all of that. But no matter how much Ali LaForce tells me I should like these two people, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why? Just, Tell us I just, why. I just laid it out. I don't like Mick Cronin. I think he's he's an angry, uh, all he's just a just a cutthroat. You know, he's a Patino disciple. I like Patino. He's a Bob Huggins disciple. I don't really like Bob Huggins. He's a, uh, you know, this he only's at UCLA because his former athletic director at Cincinnati took the UCLA job after multiple other people didn't take it, and and then he just brought him along and it's just it's just it's so arranged and it's, it's not organic this he didn't recruit these guys and then there's Hep Cronin again if he really loved his dad wouldn't you think he would have seen him sometime in that one year span <laughs> at some point hey dad hey how you doing no oh, okay i'm in the tournament now i guess you can come to the tournament that's just it's just bogus i i'm you know i hope you see i, I hope Gonzaga wins by 50 <laughs> are you are you are you are you suggesting there's an estrangement between Hep Cronin and Mick Cronin? I think there's an untold story there that Hep Cronin is is at these games and is not. I think there's a reason that we're not hearing him speak uh, on the on the air because they don't trust what he might say. Because my first question would be, you guys couldn't work it out in the whole in the year of COVID to at least be in the same room at a distance or nothing. I know you can't hug nothing. You couldn't couldn't uh, have brunch together with the big plexiglass between you nothing and so i just think that there's hep cronin hall of fame coach himself had, there's an untold story and they're, they're not getting to it they're not getting to it and it's frustrating because i know there's a better story because mick cronin is not he's the exact opposite of warm and fuzzy he's angry and prickly and when the team fails he's going to throw them all under the bus he, he's not going to be thanking anybody he's going to throw them under the bus and because he's done it before he's just a he's just a sour sour guy <laughs> you need so, to give up your your dream of becoming a, a sideline reporter for a network because that first question is never going to work i would love to do that i would like mr cronin how do you really feel about your son <laughs> where's jim gray when we need him where's jim gray asking the tough questions that that, that 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 question is nowhere on ali laforce's notepad i guarantee it Wait, well, how come you haven't? <laughs> am I right? What am I missing about the? Well, the, the I, I, I will not two. speak at all to the I, father I think it's relationship. Thorough thing. speculation at this point. I mean, my God, there's uh, absolutely no, no no reporting has gone into this. This is just well, I'm, this is job. total speculation. I'm a viewer. Uh, I'm a viewer, uh -huh. but I'm a son. Uh -huh. And I'm a father, and I just know that if 12 months go by, and you're, by the way, McCronin's worth millions of dollars. He could have flown his dad wherever he needed. He could have driven to him, whatever. He, they just haven't been in the same airspace since the tournament. It's just fraudulent. So let me add a, on a, on a personal note um, for you viewers, for your listeners, that um, Mike Bernardino just drove, if you think the sound quality is often in, in this podcast for him especially, it's because he just drove eight and a half hours after a full day's work the other night to see his son, okay? So, and he will drive in a day or two, he will drive all the way back eight and a half hours just to have spent a couple of days with his son. So this is a, a certainly a guy that values the father-son relationship. 
Um, I'm not going to speak to that any more than that, other than I'll say the, the, when you're talking about coaches and their demeanor, you know, um, I, I certainly haven't, can't fault Mick Cronin for, uh, for that. In fact, I would almost say like, maybe that's right place, right time. It's just what this UCLA program needed, right? I mean, because like they have had to play very, very tough basketball to be where they are. Like if you're going to look at one aspect of the team that's carried them to these, these victories in the tournament is toughness. Right. And and when I got worried about that Michigan game is when I, I think it was Haquez got an offensive rebound and he's smaller than the two guys he was surrounded by in the paint. And just like a lot of good tough players you want to coach to would teach a guy to do, like he kept his feet, he ball faked, and he went up strong and finished against them. I said, Whoa. And so maybe Cronin's toughness and nasty demeanor has, has rubbed off well on this team at least in this at this moment. Tim? I, I, it sounds to me what what like what Mike is suggesting here is the fact that you and and uh, and Hep Cronin are are potential doppelgangers, or at least uh, you know you seem to be following the same life path, and that that maybe there's going to come a time in an NCAA tournament many years down the road when one of your daughters is coaching uh, maybe at, maybe at Carolina, and there, we're going to have a similar situation where. We have this sort of fraudulent story of you sitting up in the stands, um, <laughs> pretending like you care, and uh, and your one of your prickly daughters is going to be uh, <laughs> is going to be be uh, leading Carolina to the national championship, and hopefully, I, I can only hope that Mike is a sideline reporter, so he can come up to you and ask you about how fraudulent your relationship is with your daughter. I'm actually surprised Mike didn't take it a step further. I mean, it is UCLA that this guy is just from central casting. And they said, you need a storyline <laughs> and get some old coot, make a backstory. You know, we'll put him out there. Get Alan Arkin. Just, get Arkin. Yeah. That's plausible too. Hopefully today's the day it all crumbles. All right. Well, this has been Three Point Range. We thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the Final Four Saturday. We'll see you next week for Kimball Crosley, for Tim Crothers. I'm Mike Berardino. Thanks for listening.